Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which which our community community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to to expand expand in faith, faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because because they they anchor us in something something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us. Everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. Our scripture passage is from Genesis 32, verses 22 through 31 from the NRSV. The same night he got up and he took his two wives, his two maids, and his eleven children, and they crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he responded, Jacob. Then the man said, You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So God called this place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hello, everybody. My name is Dan Cook, and it's great to be with you here today. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I've been a member of Genesis for a long time, pretty much since the beginning. 
Uh, and I'm also in my third year at Bethel Seminary, just wrapping up my third year at Bethel Seminary in the Master of Divinity program. And it's a real thrill for me to be able, almost in real time, take some of the things that I'm learning and be able to apply them and, and speak to you all. So I'm grateful for you all being here. This is one of those moments where you know I want to say it's good to see you. That's something you know, we say a lot, but obviously via the technology and how things are working right now in this time of pandemic, I can't see you all. Uh, and that's kind of a bummer. But at the same time, it does put me in mind of the value of being seen and how grateful I can be for that. There are a lot of times in this life, especially in the chaos that we're living in, where it's easy to not feel seen. It's easy to not feel heard. It's easy to not feel appreciated. And so those times where we are seen and we are heard uh, is something to be grateful for. And it's a blessing for me to have that here with you today. Uh, as has been mentioned, I believe uh, Steve is taking the month of August off. He was supposed to have a sabbatical this summer and events and pandemics conspired against him. Uh, but he is taking the month of August off, which is well-deserved and well-earned on his part. Uh, but I also think that it's something that is beneficial to us. It gives us a chance for a lot of other voices to step forward in a row. Um, and it's a blessing for me, obviously, because I get to preach this week and next week. But I'm even more excited for some of the people that are going to be preaching after me throughout the month of August, including somebody uh, who I know has never preached before at Genesis. And so I'm very excited to hear the kind of things that they have to say. So it's going to be a good month of August. I hope you'll be show keep showing up and, and keep listening and keep uh, diving into words, God's word together with all of us. And so if you join me, I'd like to say a quick prayer and then we can get into God's word together. Would you please? May these words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this week's text is a, a well-known story of Jacob. We don't really do sermon series so much here at Genesis, uh, but we've sort of done a de facto one here. Uh, in talking with, by talking with Steve, he, two weeks ago he did the story of Jacob meeting God on his journey from Beersheba to Haran. And then last week he talked about Jacob getting tricked by his uncle Laban and then used that story to celebrate the value of women. It was a great word. If you haven't heard that one, I strongly encourage you to go back and listen to it. And the story in the text this week might be the most well-known, and as we talk about often here at Genesis, a lot of ways that means it's the least well-known uh, story of those three when we're talking about Jacob wrestling with God or wrestling with an angel or the Elohim or however you want to phrase that. We're going to get into that a little bit later. But it's so well-known, that's why I opened with the U2 reference, right, from Bullet the Blue Sky, which is actually a really interesting way of, of referencing the story because in that song, Bono is juxtaposing Christian imagery with military imagery. Uh, the story goes that he had he and the band had just taken a trip to Central America and had seen some of the military intervention on the part of the United States in Central America and some of the some of the consequences of that. And he found it really odd that Christians were so strongly in support of this military information er, intervention because that seemed to go against a lot of Christian values. And so he was juxtaposing those things as a way of creating tension, of creating dissonance and trying to express that through song. And a lot of that tension and dissonance, I think, flows through this text and through what we're going to talk about here today. So that's why I started with it. So there's three questions that I want to ask of this particular text. And then I want to take those three questions and what we learn through the text and see if we can answer those three questions about our own time. So those three questions are this. One, how did Jacob get here? How did he get to this point in the story? How did he get to this place? Two, who or what exactly is he wrestling with? I mentioned earlier there's some confusion or some debate over who exactly he's wrestling with here. And let's dig into that and figure out what that means. 
And three, what does it mean for him to then, after the story, cross the river? I want to ask those three questions of the text, and then I want to ask those three questions of us. So let's dive in. Uh, <clears throat> probably not going to do two minutes, uh, the timer of history here. Sorry, Steve. Uh, but I'll try to keep this to a, a, basically a thumbnail version. You'll remember that two weeks ago, Steve talked about Jacob's history with his older brother Esau. The thumbnail of that is Jacob and Esau are twins. Isaac, their father, is the son of Abraham. And Esau is the older brother, but he comes out with Jacob clutching his heel. And remember, in Semitic times, the older brother received the inheritance. The older brother received the blessing. The older brother became the patriarch of the family. So that distinction is very much important. Only what we learned is that Jacob tricked Esau out of that blessing, out of that inheritance. Not only tricked uh, Esau, but also tricked their father, Jacob and got that older son blessing, which is interesting because there is sort of a theme of second sons benefiting in the Bible, if you'll think about it. Really, Isaac, if you think about it, is Abraham's second son. Abraham's first son was Ishmael. So it was the second son that became the patriarch after Abraham. And so the fact that it's the second son that's going to become the patriarch after Isaac is somewhat interesting. But we can go all the way back uh, to the creation story in Genesis. Adam and Eve's first son was Cain. Second son was Abel. The second son received the blessing from God, and in fact, that's what made Cain so angry and made Cain kill Abel. So that's a theme that sort of trickles its way throughout the Bible. But we remember back to a couple of weeks ago, Esau is furious that uh, uh, Jacob has tricked him out of this blessing, out of this inheritance, and vows to kill him, which causes Jacob to flee, which is where we found him in the lectionary two weeks ago. And then last week, we saw the story of Jacob being tricked by his uncle Laban, uh, Real quick summary, Jacob falls in, in love with, with Laban's daughter, Rachel. Laban prom Jacob promises to work for Laban for seven years to earn a, Rachel's hand in marriage. Laban pulls the last second bait and switch and gives Jacob his daughter, Leah, instead. And then Laban makes Jacob promise to work another seven years in order to marry his daughter, Rachel, as well. And, of course, Steve took that in an amazingly interesting direction in terms of talking about and celebrating, really, the value of women. But the point I want to draw here is that Jacob is a man who at this point in his life has used deceit to get what he wants and has been deceived by people he trusted. A lot of life lived by Jacob coming to this point. And now God is fulfilling the promise that he made to Jacob. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. God's fulfilling the promise that he made to Jacob to bring him back home. And in that journey, Jacob knows that he's going to have to see his brother Esau again. And it's been a while. And he doesn't really know how that thing's going to go, how that meeting is going to go, right? So he's a little nervous. And we're on the precipice of that meeting as we get to today's text. So the first question, how did Jacob get here? That's what we've just gone through. The second question is, who or what exactly is Jacob wrestling with? Now the text itself, in verse 24, says Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. That word man in Hebrew is the word ish. And it's a word that's used to distinguish human beings from God. So you could say, well, it was, a, it was a human being that Jacob was wrestling with. And in fact, if you look at the English in, in the, this uh, lection, Jacob was left alone, a man wrestled with him till daybreak in verse 24. Verse 25, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob. And again in verse 28, then the man said. So you see it repeated a bunch in the English, which is interesting because in the Hebrew, it's not repeated. That word ish is only in verse 24. Everything else is implied. So is it really a man? Maybe. It's possible. Augustine, along with a lot of 
church fathers believed that it was an angel and that that angel was actually someone who represented Christ. And so this was, in effect, Jacob wrestling with a de facto Christ. That's possible. That's possible. What about Jacob? What did he think? Well, he clearly thinks he was wrestling with God. If you look at verse 30, so Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. So Jacob clearly thought he was wrestling with God. There's an uh, Old Testament expert by the name of James Newsom. He's a professor emeritus at Columbia Theological Seminary. And he suggests that in addition, that's maybe a, an amalgamum of things, that in addition to these options, maybe Jacob is also wrestling with himself. And there's a lot there that I kind of like to dig into. Remember, Jacob knows that he's about to encounter his older brother with, from whom he robbed the birthright and the blessing that was due to Esau. Flat stole it from him. Now he's got to face up to what he's done. Now, in order to get back home, in order to follow God's prompting to come back home, he's got to face his brother. He's got to face up to what he's done. And I think that's a feeling, that's an experience that on some level, many of us, if not all of us, have had. Well, you've made a mistake in your past, and now you've got to pay the piper. You've got to face the music. You've got to face up to what you've done. And so I want that to be our first all play today. How does it feel? How do you think about that time when you screwed up, when you made a mistake, intentionally, unintentionally, when you've made that mistake and now you have to face up to it. Now you're required to face the mistake that you've made. How does that feel? What are the emotions that you're experiencing? Let's go ahead and take a minute and type in the, uh, in the chat box here at the watch party and let me know how does it feel when you know you have to face up to something you've done in your past. I am very much looking forward to seeing what you all have uh, have put in that box. So I'm, I'm curious to see what you guys have to say about that. I want to I can only express, obviously, what I've gone through in my life. And for those of you that are Enneagram people, I'm a five. And that means I think through everything. It means that when I find myself in a situation where I've made a mistake and now I've got to face it, my brain reflexively plays out as many possible iterations of that meeting as it can including and perhaps most specifically the worst case scenario ones, right? That's kind of reflexively where we go. And so there's fear there, there's concern, there's worry, there's trepidation. All of those emotions are there. But there's also something else, because usually, I think in those situations, we know what the right thing to do is. And so there also comes this steely determination, this sense of purpose, to go ahead and step up and to take whatever whooping is, is there to be taken, right? If that's what I have to do, if I have to get yelled at, if I have to get punished, if there's something that's coming my way and I've earned it by way of making whatever mistake I've made, then stepping up and facing that, th there's this feeling of determination that comes, yeah, it's not fun, it's not something that I would want to do, but and there's a fear and the concern and the worry and the trepidation. Those are all there, but there's also this strength that shows up. It says, yeah, okay, but this is what we've got to do, let's just go do it. And I think that's some of what Jacob is experiencing in this moment, right? He knows what he has to do. He knows what the right thing to do is. To follow God, to follow God's prompting, to follow God's leading is going to take him into contact with his brother. And that's the right thing to do is to face up to what he's done. But he's got to kind of summon the courage to do it. And I don't blame him for taking the time to do that, right? He's already sent family and, and friends and all of the folks that are traveling with him across the river. He's the one hanging back by himself because he's trying to suck up the courage to go and face his brother. And that's the moment when God shows up. And that wrestling that he's doing internally manifests itself in this story 
of wrestling with God or the angel or whoever it is. God shows up right at that moment where Jacob's trying to fire himself up. Okay, it's time to go do the right thing. And that's important. So our third question is, what does it mean for, for Jacob to cross the river? Right? What, what does that mean? What is he actually trying to accomplish? Well, the Greeks had two words for time. And we've talked about these before, I believe. One of which, the first word is, is called chronos. And that's time, that's thinking of time as we usually use the word, right? Seconds, minutes, hours, days, months, years. We get words like chronological and chron chronology from that word chronos. There's also another word the Greeks used for time, and that was kairos. And kairos indicated an important moment in time, and that could be brief, it could be long. The, the length of the period of time wasn't really the point. The point was what happened in that time, how history had led up to that moment, and then there was a pivot point. There was a turn. There was We're headed in a new direction. We're headed into something else, and this is an important moment. And that turning point could be personal. That turning point could be community, communal, whatever. It's just a big-time turning point. That's where they use this word kairos. And I think this is a kairos moment for Jacob, right? He's been through a lot in his life, and there's a whole lot more to come. But the decision he makes here on the banks of this river to go forward and do the right thing will strongly impact the rest of his life because he could have made another decision. He could have pulled back and said, you know what, I, I'm sorry, God, but I'm not ready for this. I'm going to go do something else. And like I said, it's in that moment as he's summoning the courage to go forward and cross this river that God shows up. And I believe God shows up to tell him two things. One, essentially God is holding up a mirror and reminding Jacob of his character. Look at verse 28 for a minute. Then the man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. That's literally the Hebrew meaning of the word Israel, one who has striven with God and with humans and has prevailed. Remember who you are. Remember what you've been through to come to this moment. That's going to carry you forward. That's what God is saying to Jacob here. And two, God's presence reminds Jacob that he's not alone in what he has to do. The courage that Jacob is trying to summon isn't just in himself, but rather it's revealed in his relationship to God. And the question is, will he trust that? Will he trust that God will continue to walk with him in what he has to do, even when it's going to be difficult, even and most especially when it's going to be difficult? So that's what it means to cross the river, is trusting God and saying, I know this is the right thing to do. I know it's going to be uncomfortable, but I know you're with me. And together we have the power to persevere through all of this. We find out in the rest of the story after this lection that Jacob does cross the river and to a degree reconciles his relationship with his brother Esau. But it's not about knowing that it's going to end up okay or in terms of it's going to work out for the best, but it's about trusting God to the point where we have the courage to cross that river, to move forward into whatever life's going to bring, no matter what the consequence is going to be. That's the key. So let's take those three questions then and let's apply them to our time. Let's apply them to what we're going through right now. What do I mean by that? Well, the first question again is how did Jacob get there? So how did we get here? How did we get into the times that we're in right now? I believe that we are in our own Kairos moment. 70 days ago, just 10 weeks, George Floyd was killed. Just 70 days. And maybe 70 days seems like a long time to you. Time is a very relative thing, and you learn that forcibly when you work in the radio business like I do. 
because while 60 seconds may seem like a very brief period of time, go sit in a radio studio and listen to 60 seconds of dead air. And trust me, it's not a very short period of time. 10 weeks may seem like a long time, but in the history of race relations in this country, 10 weeks is an eye blink. It was just 70 days ago that George Floyd was killed. And we as a church that is predominantly white, I'm not saying that as a criticism necessarily, I'm just saying that as a truth. A church is predominantly white. We still have a decision to make. We are at that river right now. We are in our own Kairos moment. And the question is, will we cross over? So how did we get here? Well, we got here because when this nation was created, it put into place systems that were to the benefit of landowning, and hear that as wealthy, white men. It was landowning white men that made the decisions. It was landowning white men that made the systems. And it was landowning white men that benefited from those systems. Now, don't get me wrong. Our founding fathers did a lot of things right. They truly did. It's remarkable a lot of the things that they accomplished. But they did also make at least one tragic mistake. There was a push during the Constitutional Convention to abolish slavery. I, I hear people all the time try to excuse the fact that slavery got codified into the Constitution with saying, well, that's just how people fought back then. It's how some people fought back then. But there are other folks that recognized the moral evil that slavery was and fought to abolish it at the Constitutional Convention. It was not impossible for them to have come to a different conclusion. But when the southern states threatened to leave and form their own union, the northern states caved and slavery made its way into our Constitution. And by codifying it, that's a way of legitimizing it. And by legitimizing it, you then had to justify it and to justify it that's a lot of where racism in this country started and deepened and worked its way into the foundation into a lot of the foundations hear that as systems in our country remember it took 77 years 77 years to amend the constitution and fix this mistake it was 77 years between when the constitution was ratified and when the 13th amendment was ratified and the 13th amendment abolished slavery in name only. It took a whole lot more work for the actual practice of slavery to end. And here we are 232 years from the ratification of the Constitution, and we are still dealing with the ramifications of that mistake. That's how we got here. So who or what are we wrestling with now? Phrases like systematic racism and white supremacy are frightening words for a white church to process and wrestle with. They just are. We can be honest about that. And there are churches out there that are flat out refusing to wrestle with these ideas. I know several pastors that have either lost jobs or have been told in no uncertain terms to tone it down because they tried to talk about these things. We can't be one of those churches. This is just me. I don't want to be part of a church that refuses to talk about something like this because it's real. And it's necessary. And especially as a church that is as white as we are, we have a responsibility to step up and be allies. In essence, we're wrestling with ourselves in much the same way that Jacob was, right? We know what the right thing to do is. The right thing to do is to cross that river. And crossing that river means addressing and dismantling systems that have racism embedded in them and replacing them with systems that are new and more fair to people of all Races, colors, creeds, genders, so on and so forth. But as a mostly white church, 
Like I said, those words can be scary. Those ideas can be frightening. And we fear sometimes the outcome of doing this work. Right? We fear dismantling systems that have mostly been to our benefit, if we're honest about it. Do we have to get less in order for others to get more? Is a question that I think resounds in a lot of people's minds. And that's only true if we decide that God's love and mercy and grace and power amounts to a zero-sum game. That there's only so much of that to go around, and if we give up part of our slice so that others can get a bigger slice, that means we have less. I don't believe that's how God's love and mercy and power work. But it's understandable in our human systems why we fear that a little bit. So the question then becomes, do we have the courage to believe that in crossing that river, God will show up for us the way that he showed up for Jacob? There's a reason that Israel became the names of not only Jacob, but of all of God's people, of all of God's followers. The character that resided in Jacob, one who has striven with God and with humans and has prevailed, that character, that God holding up that mirror to Jacob and saying, remember who you are, remember what you've been through, that same character resides in God's church and all of God's followers. We are people who have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. That resides within us. And the question is, do we have the courage to trust that God will show up for us the way that he showed up for Jacob. And all this sort of leads into what does it mean for us to cross that river? What does it mean for us to address white supremacy and systematic racism? Well, it means that we have to have some real, honest, deep conversations about who we are and who we want to be. And I mean that in terms of individuals. I mean that in terms of Genesis Covenant Church. And I mean that in terms of the church universal. Those conversations need to happen. The church, unfortunately, has been complicit in a lot of ways. The church argued in the South for slavery and for racism in our country's past. And the church needs to own that. The church needs to step up and say that was wrong and here's how we're going to be better moving forward. It means having the courage to admit that systematic, white, systematic racism and white supremacy are real and their consequences are antichrist. Just admitting that they exist is difficult for a lot of places right now. We have to have the courage to do that. It means that admitting that while we may not have made the choices that put the systems in place that contain racism, that contain white supremacy, that contain systematic racism, we didn't put those, while we personally didn't put those things in place, we, as a primarily white church, have certainly benefited from them. And if we know that we're benefiting from them and we do nothing about it, that makes us complicit in them. It means actually following the example of Christ, laying down our power, laying down our benefit, laying down our supremacy. If we want that blessing that God inferred upon Jacob at the river, Jesus told us how to get it. Jesus told us how to receive that blessing. He told, us to, he told it to us in the Sermon on the Mount. Go right through the Beatitudes. What do we have to do? We have to mourn for those who've been oppressed. We have to adopt a posture of meekness. We have to hunger for thirst. We have to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We have to be merciful. We have to be peacemakers. And while we can and we should do those things individually, their power, as we've seen so many times, 
Their power is amplified exponentially when we do them together as a community. Ladies and gentlemen, we are in a Kairos moment right now. The story of Jacob is the story of us. And that story tells us that if we have the courage to wrestle with God and with others and with ourselves, we can prevail. We know that the right thing to do is to cross that river. We know that the right thing to do is address oppression and injustice. Remember the words of the prophet Micah. We know that the Lord asks us to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. Notice the phrasing there. Do justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly. Those are active verbs. Living those out, that's crossing the river. Can we do that? Can we do that together? Lord, I pray that we have the courage to cross that river and use this Kairos moment to receive your blessing, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with you. Amen. Time and time again throughout the age Endings are a place where life is remade Thank you for listening to the Genesis West Podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscov.org.